Welcome to Pretend I Know Nothing About. I'm Katie White, your host, administrator of COAAA. On today's episode, we will hear from Teresa Shane and Erica Coles-West about all things provider relations. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are going to talk about provider relations with Teresa Shane, provider relations manager, and Erica Cowles-West, provider relations specialist. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with a little bit about yourself, um, how long you've been here, what you do. Want to go first, Teresa? Sure. Um, So... I am in provider relations. I've been with COAAA for 30 years and one month (laughs) tomorrow. Um, And I have, um, I started here as a uh, passport case manager and then a passport supervisor and then uh, joined provider relations after 10 years of being at the agency and I've been here ever since. Great, thank you. How about you, Erica? So I started the same day Teresa did, 30 days in one month. 30 years. 30 years. Oh, you loved it that, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I started as a passport case manager as well, and I did that for about five or six years and then moved into provider relations, and I've been there since. So you started on the same day? We did. August 9th. There were nine of us. And what was 30 years ago? What would that be? August 9th? 1993. 1993. Okay. We were the biggest class they had had. They had just moved into the new building at 174 East Long. Interesting. How many people were in the class? Nine. Nine. Okay. We were the nine club, nine of us on the ninth. Oh, it's like a Taylor Swift situation yeah. or something. <laughs> cool. There are only two left. That would be us. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll start with Teresa. Tell us, just give us the overview of the department and um, sort of where the mandate comes from and give us the overview. So our responsibility primarily, we do a lot of different things, but I think when think, uh, people think of provider relations, they think of passport providers. So we are responsible for the oversight um of those provider agencies and non-agencies to ensure compliance with the Ohio Administrative Code, which comes from the Department of Aging and the Department of Medicaid. And how many passport providers do we have? Well, funny you should ask, because I wrote that down. (laughs) I Um, figured you might have. Thank you. (laughs) So right now we have about 460 plus passport agencies 44 assisted living waiver providers, and about 105 um, participant-directed providers. Wow. And so the Provider Relations Department is a lot of passport providers, but not just passport providers. So who else are we monitoring? So we monitor our Older Americans Act providers, those Title III and Alzheimer respite providers, of which there are about 24, 25 of those. Um, and then we are responsible for monitoring three levy programs. Um, we do their their provider monitoring for um, Fairfield County, Delaware, and Franklin County. Okay. So, Erica, how does it work? How do you break it down? Are you guys all specializing in different areas? Or explain who kind of does what and how we figure that out. So we've transitioned a lot this year. We've had a lot of new staff join the team. And as our provider caseloads have gotten larger, I guess, we have somewhat specialized, but all of us carry um, some passport providers. Um, Jackie 
Rish does all Title III. That was new a couple of years ago, I think. And um, I share the passport providers with, um, I also do participant directive providers and senior options. And so like Easter does Delaware and senior options and passport. Um, so we also have um, Angie who does assisted living, but she also has passport providers. So we kind of break it down that way. And then we all have an outer county. Um, one person may not, um, but we all have an outer county where we do the providers in that area as well. So like mine is Pickaway County. Okay. So like Cheryl does Fairfield County, therefore she also does the Fairfield County levy. Interesting. So um, we haven't gotten to where we are. Some of us, we call each other experts in the, like home delivery meals. Maybe a few years ago I was the expert only because I had all, a lot of those providers where Cheryl would be the adult daycare expert because she has a lot of those. Um, but nobody has just one provider type. Okay. Yeah. How many providers is each provider relations specialist I'll on defer average? to the manager. <laughs> um, I think we're right around 65-ish. Okay. Um, it's a lot. It is a lot. And um, growing. Uh, we have just in the last month or two um, just gotten slammed with new um provider applications from the Department of Aging. So, um, yeah. Grind. It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like we need new providers and more providers, um, really quality providers, but Correct. also anyone who wants to become a provider can become a provider in the state. And so a lot of times it is quantity and not necessarily quality. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And how many people are on the provider relations team? We have um, 10 provider relations specialists, myself, um, our office assistant slash support person, Kim Johnson, and then Linda Gillespie is our uh, director, ADR and director, which is where provider relations falls in the agency. Okay. So I think one thing that's important too, when you're hearing like we may carry 65 providers, one provider may have one service, but another provider may have four or five services. So you're not just monitoring one like personal care only they may have personal care transportation adult daycare hmm. so a provider may have one name but have several different things they're doing or multiple funders okay so then do you stratify your sort of i'm going to call it a caseload i know that's not quite right but do you stratify that based on how many hmm. services each provider has yeah so all providers have a point value assigned to them um, so when I'm making a decision about when a new provider comes over, who to assign that provider to, I'm counting how many providers um, they already have, that provider relations specialist, plus the points, um, just to try to make sure I'm as fair in my assignments as I can be. Okay. And how does the point system work? So every provider gets a point based on how many funders they okay. have, and then how many services they have. And then some services are weighted slightly heavier um, because of the amount of time it takes to do a review. Okay. Um, Would that be like home health aid? Is that a... Actually, no. It's Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That's, That's yeah. So shocking. Those, um, they would get a point if they're a personal care provider, another point if they do homemaking services. So a standard home care agency is about three points. Okay. Um, but our adult daycare providers get a little extra weight because of the new HCBS setting requirements and the time it takes to make sure they're compliant with those. Um, plus, 
interviews that we have to do um, of daycare staff. So hmm. it, it takes time. And then assisted living is actually weighted even heavier because it's, it's, a, it's a lengthy process to do those reviews. You have some passport. I do have some passport. And then and person. senior options. Okay. And then um, participant-directed participant providers. Directed. And I just started that in March. Okay. And um, so that's very different. Um, and the reason, so when um, Stephanie left, I decided to do that um, for a change of pace. And it's it feels more social worky to me because I'm going out into the homes and meeting my providers who are the individual provider, the participant provider, and then the person they're caring for. Um, so it's been a big change. You know, I'm out doing home visits again and driving with all those crazy people out there. Um, it's frightening. <laughs> uh, but um, so, it, but still, then we have I do the passport and the senior options and um, agency reviews as well. Okay, so because passport is such a huge component of this, walk me through what it's like when you're preparing for a passport monitoring visit and then what it looks like when you're in that visit too. Okay, so we, the state mandates to us what a compliance review will encompass. And so there's a rule, the structural compliance review, review rule, and we have to follow that. Um, so we all have our caseloads. We have to pull billing for the review. We have to do a billing audit, a sample of billing, and we pull the client lists. And then Based on their census, that's how we determine how many um, individuals are going to be reviewing. And so it's the rule requires a minimum of three, maximum of 30. So again, depending on the, the census size of an agency. So for instance, a home delivered meal provider, you can 90% of the time count on the fact you're going to be doing at least 30 clients. You're reviewing 30 clients charts. Correct. Wow. And um, but we're reviewing a period of time. So typically it's the quarter prior to the one we're currently sitting in. Okay. So right now we're doing April, May, and June. You're going backwards in time to choose your clients and do the review. Then you're writing your letter now, but you're you're also scheduling the next month out and you're getting evidence of compliance from the reviews you've already done. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not we go sure out. I fully understand that. You will. Okay. That's what this is for. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we so so we call and schedule the review. We try to give a 30-day notice as much as we can. We go out, we do the review, we do an intro with the owner or whomever might be available there that day, the nurses, and then we do um, clinical chart review, personal uh, record review, and billing, policy and procedure review. And then we end the day with an exit conference. Hmm. And um, so from there then if anything, health and safety, I guess, issues would become like what's called a disciplinary action. So that requires a little extra step when you get back that has to be done like within a five to seven day period. Other than that, you send a summary letter, they send you evidence of compliance, mm -hmm. and you determine whether or not they've met the evidence of compliance. So that's the process. It, it sounds quick, but it's it can drag on depending on how the review went, actually. Okay. And each provider has to be reviewed how many times per year? Annually. Annually. Well, that just changed, too. But annually, up until July 1st, that changed to um, every Some providers um, are eligible to 
have a deadline of three years as opposed to just every year, okay. um, kind of depending on their um, their qualifications. If they're a Medicare agency or have other accreditations, they may qualify to have reviews done every three, up to every three years. Okay. So then will that change how you're, you know, assigning cases and the weight load, weights and all of that? Oh, it might. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so new um, that we're really trying to figure out how how to move forward um, with the process. So we're going to be brainstorming um, as a team, trying to figure out, um, because, you know, when this rule went into effect, there were some of our team members who had providers who many of them don't meet that qualification. They're still going to have to have a review every year. Okay. Others had more providers who met that qualification. And so they have the ability to put off a review, uh, maybe not do one this year, maybe not do one next year. So a lot can happen in three years. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Um, so we're, like I said, kind of brainstorming about not just looking at, okay, they're Medicare certified, so we can skip them for three years. We want to be sure that we're not letting providers um, fall through the cracks um, and taking into consideration other um components of determining whether we're going to not do a review or do a review. Okay. So Erica, you mentioned um, there might be a disciplinary Mm -hmm. action letter. And what happens? You come back, you file that letter, where does it go and what happens? So we sometimes when we're doing a compliance review and a situation occurs that's considered a health and safety. And so that's maybe a provider where they haven't done the criminal record checks or they've hired staff that don't meet the qualifications. In those situations, we pull the staff while we're there that day. Oh, wow. Right. They cannot work. Um, so then we come back and we compose a letter. We we all pretty much have a standard. There's certain things that have to be in the letter, um, but we all ask for different pieces of evidence of compliance or plans of correction. So we, so we send that on to the provider, um, and then Teresa notifies ODA that that provider has received this disciplinary action. The provider has seven days mm-hmm. now to respond, and they have to send us the evidence of compliance within that seven days. And hopefully they do, because if they don't, then that's just more work on our end. We have to um, either issue another disciplinary action or refer them on to ODA for further action. So, um, But that, that happens very immediately. Okay. And then they get what's called a summary letter, and we have um, 60 days to compose that and get that in the mail to them, and then they have 60 days in return to send in their evidence of compliance or plans of correction. So that might be something they didn't have an incident reporting policy. Um, or So as long as it's not health and safety, they get a little more time. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But there are times that you might take someone, quote unquote, off the floor that day. Absolutely. And we've, you're the one having to have that conversation. Yeah. Wow. We just pull them. I mean, we've gone to places before where we've pulled every staff. So if you find someone that doesn't meet qualifications, you know, you have we have to review so many staff. So we, we start with the standard you know, that we're supposed to meet. So three home health aides, maybe two nurses. That's what we're going to review today. And um, we, aid number one doesn't meet the qualifications. So now you, so now you know, you have to hope the next two do, because at least now you have 
one aid and a backup that meet qualifications. Mm -hmm. But if the second one doesn't, now you have to pull another aid. I mean, it can really snowball. And you, we've walked in before where we have to pull staff that day and people cannot get service if they don't have backup workers. They have to then rely on the plan they have with the case manager and the family for the, you know, other people to support that service. Um, We've, it's not good when you have to do that. Um, It, but you have to, because we have to make sure people are qualified to be out there. So has this ever happened like at an adult day? I can't say for sure that it has. I think the most thing for adult day is probably more so the transportation drivers. Maybe they haven't had the, you know, they haven't had the required um, first aid um, qualification or something like that. I I think AIDS at the adult day is a little more cut and dry. Okay. And there's, because the client to staff ratio is higher there, we may may have to pull someone, uh, but it's not going to impact anyone attending the daycare because there's so many other people that have to be on the floor. Okay, I see. So when they know you're coming, are they sort of nervous? Is it like, you know, I think about... Yeah, the state's coming. That's yeah, kind of what yeah. they, they think. Um, but we've tried really hard to use the approach of, you know, we're here to help. We are here to, you know, we share the same goal. We want to make sure that our waiver individuals are receiving the best service possible and that the providers are compliant with what the rules require. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we try to make them understand we're, we're really allies, you know, we're not, we're not there to be punitive and, uh, you know, we're not looking for trouble or, or bad things. Um, and I mean, some providers still get nervous. Sure. As they, I, I understand that. Yeah, I had a provider who you would sit in there, just a huge conference room. And as you're sitting there throughout the day, you just are getting more and more cold. And after the first couple of years, I finally said, what is, what's going on with your air conditioning? And he goes, I'm just sitting back there. I'm just sweating. I oh. Know what it is. I said, oh, so I just knew, okay, sweater, sweater agency. Because, I mean, he was just, he was so nervous. Yeah. Um, but... And really, um, Teresa, you said it so well, we are allies in this, but we do need to make sure that on behalf of those we serve, that people are following the rules and doing the Mm -hmm. correct thing. So you mentioned a couple of different rule changes. How often do the rules change? And, you know, like, how many rules are there? There are a lot of rules. Um, The Ohio Administrative Code, I mean, we've got requirements for every provider, so every provider type has to meet those rules. And then there are service specifications that are specific to whatever service they're providing. Um, and then you have the criminal background check rules that they have to follow. So it's a lot. Um, and, you know, we try our best at when we do our pre-certification visits to, even though, you know, when they're applying through the state's website, it very clearly says, read the rules before you even submit this application. Um, and a lot of providers seem to miss that. Um, so, you know, it, we ideally spend as much time at the front end um, providing technical assistance and making sure they understand kind of what they're signing up for. And, um, you know, I, I think Erica has said it best over the years. A, a pro- it generally takes a provider agency about three years to wow. really have a good grasp on 
what's expected of them. And like you said, the rules change. And so I, I think the rules are reviewed every five years, but we do see changes that take place. And of course, through COVID and the public health emergency, we dealt with a lot of different things that we weren't used to, that providers weren't used to. Um, and so now as we're kind of unwinding um, from the public health emergency, going back to the old way of doing things, plus the new rules, it's a lot to wrap your head around. And, you know, as Erica mentioned, we we do things in the quarter previous from where we're sitting and where we're doing that review. So we're still working with rules that were in effect before July 1st for our existing providers. But when we're doing pre-certs, we're using the new rules. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a... So the pre-certs are new providers coming in. Correct. So you have a, it sounds like you do call it a caseload. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have a caseload of those that you're monitoring. And then are you also working on pre-certs? Yes. Right? So mm -hmm. are those distributed in the same sort of way? They're weighted and, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So like when she, Erica said, you're doing things from the past when mm -hmm. you're doing current reviews. You're also collecting evidence of compliance of reviews you've already done while you're doing new reviews. Um, for new providers and existing providers, and then working to collect that evidence of compliance that's due in two months. So um, it's a lot of calculating and um, figuring out and making sure we're scheduling reviews because those providers that have to have reviews done every year have to have them done every 365 days. That is the rule. So, so it's not like they're all due in December. It's just it could be coming up any which way. Right. right. And and then the pre-certs are, um, you know, that's a very that's a much smaller window than your compliance review too. So you may get one across across your desk, and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to fit that in because maybe you have three compliance reviews coming up, and you can't change the dates on those, right? Because this is the day it has to be done, so you meet that 365 day rule. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Well, chaotic. That's yeah. a tricky balance of mm -hmm. just figuring that out. And so that's where I assume the teamwork comes in, right? Like, okay, so-and-so is on vacation, but then mm -hmm. these pre-certs are coming up, but these are due. And are, is there some cross-training there to make sure yeah. you can support? And what I do ask for from everybody every six months is their anticipated schedule of reviews for the next six months. So that even if by point value, someone would technically be due for an assigned pre-cert. Mm -hmm. If I see, you know, in the next two months, they are just weighted heavily with due, with compliance reviews that are due, I might bypass them and not give them that pre-cert because they're already feeling very overwhelmed. Okay. Um, or if I know somebody's going to be on vacation, one of the new rules, we used to have 90 days to complete an entire pre-certification um, from start to when we make the recommendation to ODA. Um, and the new rule now is 60 days. Oh. Um, so it's a, it's, that 30 days has made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it, it really has gone beyond just looking at points um, for me when I'm making a decision about who to assign a pre-cert to. And I think we have, just because our caseloads have grown so much over the last few years and quickly, we are working together as a team to, so for instance, we have someone out right now on paternity leave and we have two folks who are on vacation and one person's on, on their vacation is going to be for three weeks, but prior to leaving, 
I need someone to help cover these. So we're mm-hmm. working better toward that. That's part of what Teresa mentioned earlier, where we're trying to figure out how do we, you know, we really have to remap everything. Right. And it's so funny because we had literally just remapped everything because we had a few folks who left. And so we're still trying to figure out how do we make this work. So you can, I mean, in the past and even just near recently, if, if you're going on vacation, you better do it before it's due because it's due on that 365 days. Right. Um, and so we're really trying to work better at, I'm going to be gone for these two weeks. I have these two compliance reviews. Could someone help me? And then I'll help you. So we're working on that strategy as well at the very beginning stages of it. But it, we have to because our caseloads are such now that you really, you just can't take that one or two week vacation and come back and still fit everything in. We used to be able to have, like you should need to do it at least within that month. Okay. But that changed, I don't know, in 18, maybe 17 or 18. And yeah, it's been crazy. So are you doing all of this scheduling by hand, or is there a software system or something that you're working with to do all of this? No oh, software. No. no software. No. We call folks, and we track it. We each have our own way of tracking, and then we give our tracking sheets to Teresa. As she mentioned, you know, we give her in January, January through June, and then we do July through December, but it's our responsibility to track. And so... We all have our own way of doing it. When new folks start, we share how we do it. Um, yeah, no, there's no software. And then what about the actual monitoring? Is that done on paper? Or is that a... Well, I mean, we have a... For Passport, we have the PIMS system. Okay, so um, the Passport reviews go into PIMS. Correct. correct. But, but I speak for myself and probably Erica. Um, a lot of us are still pretty old school. You know, we take cheat sheets out. Um print the rules off so we can take our notes right on the rules and, um, you know, cheat sheets for ensuring the personnel qualifications are met, the consumer records have everything that they need to have in them, um, and then come back and enter that into PIMS. Okay. Um, And we have just very recently um, started to, um, we've joined the 21st century and have electronic records now. Good. Uh, oh, Easter did that, right? Yes. Easter. Okay. Three Easter cheers Easter. Yep, that's right. um, so, you know, we're not, I think we retain probably the largest amount of storage in the basement um, of provider reviews because, of course, you can't destroy anything until six years after they're no longer a provider. So anything you're pulling for a review, are you making copies of and bringing back? Well, we're getting better. We're scanning. We're scanning. Scanning um, while there. Correct. Yeah. As much as we can. Um, and we do, it's, it would, we, there are some folks across the state that I absolutely just want to, you know, do everything they're doing because they do a lot electronically. Mm-hmm. But it is difficult when you're at a larger review. Um, we really would have to incorporate that all somehow through some software. But there are times when you can take your laptop out and enter information into PIMS while you're there because maybe it's the same three clients that you reviewed for the last three years and the same staff because there's been no growth. Hmm. Um, so those are nice. Um, there there are times when you go to a provider and they're, they've given you their policy and procedure manual, but you wait an hour and a half for any record to be provided to you, personnel or clinical record. So I'll take my laptop out and just start putting those policy and procedures in the computer. Um, but it's the the whole handwriting thing, I think, is just because that's 
kind of the essence of the job. Yeah. They're constantly bringing you things. So I say to you, Katie, I don't see a skills checklist here for Teresa. And you say, oh, I'll, I'll go get that. And um, so while you're doing that, I'm working on something else. And two hours later, you bring this form to me that I have asked you now for five times. And I go, oh, let me get that. And I write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's and I th- definitely that can be done electronically, um, and that that's also part of our conversations too. Um, we have a lot of um, young folks on our team that I absolutely adore, and they're very tech savvy and um, are really pushing for that. And I I think it will make our time management better, um, easier. So yeah, we're working toward those things, but. So you mentioned some of the other AAAs have a software system for provider relations? They're using um, SharePoint, I think, is the one that um, the PAA9 is using. But they've been electronic. They're just, I don't know how they do it. But they're a smaller group, um, again, more rural than what we are, less providers. And so, um, and they've had a pretty solid team, I'd say, for the last five or six years, too. So all of that goes into play, I think. But Mm -hmm. I'm just glad we're having the conversations. I think it will make things much easier um, if you can put things in electronically there and then cut, paste, and put them in PIMS when you get back or anything like that. Um, ODA recently made changes to PIMS, which has been... Oh, so wonderful for us because it would could literally take you two hours to just enter policy and procedure information into the PIMS program, where now it may take you, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how good or bad, let's say, the review is. Okay. So that has been absolutely wonderful. They listened and they've worked through some things for us. So that's been nice. We just hosted some ODA. Um, Ten new ODA staff members came to our building today to learn about area agencies on aging, two of whom were uh, new additions to their IT team who will be working on PIMS updates. And so Linda was great and secured a spot and said, hey, you know, we have some ideas for you. We have a whole list. And um, But I think it was a good conversation for us to talk about our work from our lens so that they can hear and really understand the day-to-day things. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you don't really have a typical day or week. I can't ever say there is a typical. There isn't. You come in with a to-do list, just probably like everybody else here at the agency, and sometimes it doesn't get to done. That's what I said. <laughs> well, that didn't get to done today, so there's tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it really just depends on. You just never know. You know, on any given day, ODA could reach out and say, um, you know, we have concerns about this provider agency, and we want you to go, like, today. So concerns can come up any day. Mm-hmm. Pre-certs, it sounds like, can happen at any time. Yes. And rule changes can happen at any time? I mean... They're not supposed to, but it no. just seems like it, I think, since COVID. But it's typically an every five-year five change. Years. But just with COVID, we had to get some emergency rules. And then now we're... So we've kind of missed... In 2022, that would have been the five-year from 2017. But it was still emergency rules. So now a lot of that is being catch up, if you will. So it's kind of a constantly moving target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and I, yeah. And when I do performance evaluations and there's that category about adaptability to changing conditions. Um, I mean, that's, that for us is a never ending battle. It's a constant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always changing. Yeah. Would you say that's your biggest challenge? I think that's what I had thought about is just the rules and then 
on top of the rule is the interpretation of it. And so, and then now one of the biggest challenges I think for us as a team is time to sit down and go through those rules where, you know, 24, 25 years ago, a rule, a set of rules would come out and ODA would work with us through that. We'd get the rule, we'd get the interpretation, everything all within the same kind of time frame. Um, and that's definitely fallen off over the years. So now really that falls on us. And as a group, we that's something else we've been doing differently, you know. So we got this whole set of rules in July. So our next team meeting, because we're going to have to start using those in October, we were all we all took a chunk, and we we worked together as you know in doubles or triples, and we're going to report out to the team. These are the changes because we need to know that when we go out and do the job, um, and so that's a huge challenge is just keeping up with the change. Hmm. Um, so that's. Yeah, for me, that's huge, I think, is the, is the rule changes probably. And I would say mine is just dealing with the workforce shortage um, as it relates to all of these new providers coming on board. Um, in July, one of the new rules was the uh, no longer is there a requirement for an agency to submit evidence of business history, um, which... You know, when we questioned that, we were told it's just because of the workforce shortage. Um, but in my mind, and I know across the state it's different, um, but for us here, we are saturated with home care agencies, um, and yet we still experience the fact that we have so many individuals who are waiting for services. And so it's just, it feels very... Um, you know, I sat in a passport meeting earlier this week and let them know, you know, in the next couple of months, you're going to see a lot of new provider agencies coming on board. And, you know, at the same time, I kind of have to deflate the balloon and say, but I can't promise any of them are going to have staff um, or be able to provide services to our individuals. So so you don't have to have any kind of certificate of need or anything like that. It, you can become a provider because you want to become a provider and you go through the steps. Yeah, you just have to meet compliance with the rules. Hmm. Um, and of course, now the home care agencies have to be licensed by the Department of Health. Um, so we have a, a little leeway there. It gives me a little hope. Um, but yeah, there's no... So, I mean, we go into, I just did a pre-cert last week with a new agency who's never serviced any clients. And, you know, I'm, I'm not even confident he really understands what he's getting into. Um, but we'll work with him. We provided a lot of technical assistance and keep our fingers crossed that, you know, he'll be successful. That would be great. Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> so how about a success or a favorite story? Well... My favorite story of all time is when Eric and I and the other seven people started at this agency. And I was 30 years old, so now you all know how old I am. <laughs> um, and I remember saying we, were tr we went through a, a month-long training during that time before we ever got a caseload. We had to take a test, the mm -hmm. whole nine yards, to be able to do our job. And I remember at one point saying... I'm going to retire from this agency. And my friend sitting across the table, Erica said, oh, how can you possibly say that? How do you know that? And I just said, I, you know, I said, listen, we're city employees. We have great benefits. 
at the time, we didn't even have telework or an alternative work schedule. But I said, I just, this is where I'm going to retire from. And she was like, oh, okay. And so, <laughs> as I mentioned, she and I remain the only two left from that group of nine. So um, I will be retiring, obviously. And yeah. I think Erica will be too. You're be, you're abandoning me. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's but we are retiring story. from here, which I, I thought, you're out of your mind, lady. I'm not staying here. <laughs> Why would we, I? We I was, hooked you. I yeah. was young, you know, and had my whole life ahead. And But that's what we did then in those days. That mm-hmm. is a good story. Yeah. How about you, Erica? I don't know. I think um, I, I, what I have loved about being in provider relations is because one of the biggest worries I had transitioning from doing case management here and at my previous jobs, I'm not going to have that client, you know, focus. And somebody that was on the team at that time had said, well, your providers kind of become your clients. And I was like, okay, you know. And so I've had several providers that I have had, obviously, I just transitioned my caseload over to Marissa when she started. And so finally in July, she got pretty much my entire passport provider caseload. And um, so I've been working with a lot of these people for 25 years. And, but the the part of it that I liked the best is watching their growth. I've, you know, I, when Global Meals started, um, Olga owned a sandwich shop in the um, student union in, on Ohio State's campus. That was her. That's where she started, and today it's this huge company. Um, so, and I, I've been a part of that. I and so because as Teresa said, we really the whole philosophy then was so different, you know, quality improvement versus quality assurance. And so we built relationships with the provider agencies and the owners. And um, so I think that's what I would take away for me is just having been a part of their history. And then when I was calling people to say goodbye and I'm, or I'm going to transfer your case. And um, there were just a few that I thought, well, this is going to be really hard, you know? And so, and I was glad because on the other end of the phone, they're like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be so difficult. You've been with us forever, but um, you know, and, and compliments of you've really helped. You've been there for us. So you still get that when you become a social worker, it's, you know, not necessarily for the money or for the it's those little nuggets that you get and so I think overall that would be my I think what I take away the most probably yeah um and it's a huge contribution to be part of growing and protecting and enhancing the provider network in Mm -hmm. central Ohio because as we know especially with the lack of um service providers right now it's it's exactly what we need and if you don't have that advocacy and that protection and that quality improvement piece, the providers might not stick around. So as we close, I always like to ask some final thoughts. So uh, what do you want staff to know about provider relations? Um, We always describe ourselves as small but mighty. Um, And so I, I think I just want everybody to know that, you know, yes, we do the provider monitoring, but there's so much more um, to our day-to-day activity. And, um, you know, we're out in the field. We're making sure that our individuals are are getting the best care. We're doing the best we can with what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think, um, I think we're respected by others in the agency, which always makes me feel good. Um, there's one case manager in particular that, you know, every time I send out an email about, 
um, you know, a new provider or a provider has added a county or a service. This one particular case manager always sends me an email and thanks me for keeping her informed and just kind of says, what a great, you know, thanks for doing such a great job. And it just, it just makes me feel really good about that. But um, I also want to say, you know, publicly now that I feel I have really the best team. Um, And they're not my team. We are a team. Um, We went through a pretty difficult period where we, uh, we lost a couple of staff to retirements and then we lost some staff to, they just chose to go elsewhere in their career, which was fine. But we just weren't used to that. We had been so um, tight-knit and so stable for so long. And we went through a really rough patch. Um, but I, I, I say confidently, we are in a great place right now. I just, I couldn't be happier with the group that I work with. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I would agree. I think we, I would say the last year has probably been um, probably the most upheaval in our, in our group since I've been in provider relations. But I think we've come out on the other end with a really good, strong team. Um, I think the one thing that I, I think I would tell people this in interviews too, but I believe that our small group is one of the areas in the agency that touches every other part. Um, we're involved with clinical, we're involved with community education and outreach. I mean, we, we're, we're in the outer counties. So I think that's what's also kept things interesting is because it's not, you're never stagnant. There's always something new going on. Um, so I think that's one of the things that uh, it's tough. It's, it's not an easy job. It's definitely not the job it was um, 25 years ago. That's for sure. Um, but it's evolved. And I think the team that we have right now, I think, you know, we're all we're doing a good job with everything we've had to go through. And um, I think we all like what we're doing. And that's the key. Um, that's what probably kept us all on the track, you yeah. know, the last year, we we all do believe in what we're doing. I think that's important. Um, we want providers to be the best they can be, but we also need to protect the consumers who are getting the care. And that's a high priority for us. So when you asked earlier, is it difficult to have that conversation when you're pulling staff? Absolutely. But kind of know, mm-hmm. you know what the rule is, you know what you're supposed to be doing. So sorry, you made that mistake, they have to come off. The The folks I feel bad for really are the aides, because I think sometimes they're put in these positions in without the owners doing what they're supposed to do. So that person now isn't going to get paid, and they have a family to feed. But the owner is the, ultimately the responsible one. So I don't know. But keeping you grounded is the fact that you need to protect the older adults or Absolutely. people with disabilities that are getting these services. Right. Well, I say confidently that it's not just the case manager who's very thankful for your team and your work, but definitely me and um, everybody across the agency. It's it's not easy, but it is a huge piece and um, crucial to making sure that people in Central Ohio get what they need. Agreed. So thank you so much for being thank here. You. Thank you. It's fun talking about us. <laughs> I hope now you know something about provider relations. Thanks for listening.